from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe, from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron, for three for the win, yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay. Quick programming note for this week. Uh, with the second round of the playoffs not uh, working out on the schedule for, for Wednesday, this episode, which you'll be hearing coming out on, on Monday of this week, will be the episode for this week, so no regularly scheduled episode for Wednesday. But uh, given that I've uh, produced three episodes here in the last like five or six days, I'm sure you guys all have enough content for me. Uh, but uh, for this episode... I've got a very special guest. He's a fellow sports business classroom alum, and he's a regular on the program, Shamir Yaz. Shamir, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Garrett. Now, uh, this, uh, this episode, we're going to be doing the Western Conference semifinal preview, which includes the, uh, the one-seed Utah Jazz taking on the four-seed Los Angeles Clippers, and then later we'll be breaking down the two-seed Phoenix Suns taking on the three-seed Denver Nuggets. But we'll start with that 1-4 matchup, which we just we just figured out today with the Clippers' Game 7 win over the Mavericks. And, uh, you know, the uh, the Clippers getting out of that series and, and, and able to beat the likes of Luka Doncic, who put on a spectacular series. But for this matchup, I'm going to be acting as uh, the Utah Jazz and Quinn Snyder. Shamir will be the Los Angeles Clippers and Ty Lue. And just looking at the, uh, the, the team profiles, the Utah Jazz finished this year at 52 and 20 overall, third in offensive rating, first in defensive rating, and first in net rating at positive 11.2. They uh, knocked off the Memphis Grizzlies in five games. And the Los Angeles Clippers coming off that seven-game victory over the Mavericks. They finished the season at 47-25, and 25, fourth in offense, ninth in defense, and second in the NBA in net rating at, at positive 6.8. So, Shamir, we've got the two teams that are, uh, you know, just in terms of point differential, we're the best two teams in the league matching up in the second round. It should be a really fun series. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I think – Maybe the overall perception of the series going in is going to be that the Clippers are favored just because of the sort of lack of national coverage around the, the, the Jazz. The Jazz have always obviously been great all year. I'm excited to see, can they prove themselves? This is going to be the biggest test probably they'll face in the playoffs until maybe the finals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the the big question mark as far as the, the injuries in this series, the, the Clippers, Dealing with uh, Sergi Baca missing uh, missing basically that whole first round series and had missed a lot of the the end of the regular season as well, so his status is kind of up in the air. And then also Mike Conley for the Jazz, he suffered a mild hamstring strain in that Game Five win over Memphis, so his status is kind of up in the air as well. But uh, you know, 
looking at how the Clippers typically play defense, they do a lot of switching and they, they played small for, for big chunks of that series against Dallas. So Conley, you know, either not being healthy or not being himself might be a, a, a major factor in this matchup. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, as you probably agree, in this matchup, the Jazz are going to need all the offensive firepower that they can have. I mean, they have Boyan, so they have uh, Donovan Mitchell, but it really seems like, like Paul George and Kawhi, they can get to another level that those guys just can't get to. Uh, especially we saw like in a, in a game six with Kawhi did, I just put up one of the best performances in really NBA playoff history. It was just, you know, th- that's something that I think Donovan Mitchell is capable of, but now can, can you go head to head with a guy like Kawhi uh, late, late in the game, right? Are they going to, is that where Mike Conley, if he's healthy, is that where he comes in to stabilize the offense? Uh, and th- that's why it, it's really, it's almost a kind of a bummer for me for, for, for the jazz because they're really going to need to be at full strength to be this Clippers team. I think, I think the Clippers just face their the toughest test they're going to have all playoffs uh, in the Mavericks. I, I think, I think once it's kind of one of those things where it reminded me of like uh, in 2012, when the the heat beat the, the Celtics, they were down three, two when they came back and it was like, they just needed to get over that hurdle. And, you know, they stormed through the, uh, they stormed through, that uh, Thunder series in the finals, it kind of reminds me of that. So I'm I'm really hoping Mike Conley's at full strength now. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. And yeah, you mentioned Donovan Mitchell. He's really the guy for Utah that attacks against uh, against switching defenses in isolation. He's the guy that really down the stretch against the best defenses, he's gonna have the ball in his hands. So he's gonna he's gonna be crucial. But, you know, the Clippers, I think, could look at this and say, well, you know, as good as Donovan Mitchell is, I, I don't know. Well, if Luka he can, yeah, I don't think he could do what Luca just did. Yeah. So um, speaking of the uh, the regular season matchups, the, the Jazz won two of the three meetings. And uh, the first one was on January 1st with the Jazz win, winning at 106 to 100. The second matchup, Utah won 114 to 96 on February 17th. But uh, in that game, the Clippers did not have Kawhi or PG out there. And then the final matchup on uh, just two days later, on February 19th, the Clippers beat the Jazz 116-112. And I don't know if you caught any of those matchups, Shamir, but I, I was able to watch at least that last one. And one of the things that was very evident down the stretch in crunch time Ty Lu, as he did a lot in this Dallas series, went small, was not afraid of Rudy Gobert attacking, you know, a, a, a six, eight or smaller player on the offensive end. Gobert not known as a, as a post-up threat. And that was really the, the big thing for me and why this might be a pretty tough matchup for Utah is because the, the Clippers can, can spread Gobert out and, and really make him uh, defend in space and then also they can kind of get away with it on the other side of the, the court. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the I don't know if you'd call it a problem, but sort of the some, the thing that's standing in the way of just the Jazz's prospects ever in the playoffs is that you look at Rudy Gobert, right? He's a great defender, probably top three defender in the NBA, best rim protector in the NBA, maybe right, right in front of Andy Davis. But the problem with him is if you go small in a series, right, like, 
his values is diminished in a way, right? Because you have him guarding the perimeter, and that's just not where his strong suit is. So now you're kind of like just by the by by the Clippers going smaller, you're 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 sort of just like <laughs> you're sort of weakened into something of a game plan that someone can do in a seven game series that they might not go to in the regular season. So that that is something that bothers me. That is one of the reasons I do think this this is gonna seem like uh, a lot easier matchup for the, the Clippers, just because they have the offensive firepower, they have the ability to go small, and they have the ability to defend. So I I I, I feel like Donovan Mitchell's gonna have to carry a big load. And if Mike Conley isn't healthy, I mean I know Jordan Clarkson has had a great year. He's probably gonna win, you know, six man of the year award. But I've watched enough of my fair share of Jordan Clarkson where you don't want him to be your second. Offensive scoring option in a playoff game. Yeah, he um, he has times even in that uh, even in the Memphis series where he'll just have a, a kind of a stinker of a game. In, Very tricky. In, yeah, in in game one of that series, I think he was he went six of eighteen with four turnovers and over eight from three. So yeah, he he'll have a a stinker every now and again. And yeah, especially if Conley is uh, is not there to start the series or is limited they're going to need productive consistent minutes from Clarkson speaking from from the Utah Jazz perspective you know the the big opponent strengths or you know the big strengths of the clippers that concern me one being the the star players on the clippers play at a position where my defense is not that strong you know Kawhi Leonard and Paul George guys that play basically the the three four spots We've got Bogdanovich and we've got Royce O'Neal is a, is a solid defender, but he's not a, I don't, I wouldn't describe him or, or as a lockdown guy, but uh, you know, they're going to have at least one of those most of the time are going to have a, one of those guys are going to have a, a pretty darn good matchup in this series. Yeah. I, I think if you look at the, as far as Kawhi and Paul George go, they're not really scared of many people in the NBA and they're definitely not scared of the jazz defenders. I think that the Clippers are going to be, for the most part, get what they want. If if they, if Tyron Lue, for whatever reason, is hesitant to make an adjustment to go small, which I, I don't think he will be, just based on just past watching him both coach the Cavs and this season, I think it'll be interesting to see what impact Rudy Gobert will have on their defense. If he'll be able to, you know, if it gets to, a, you know, let's say they trap the pick and roll, right? Uh, let's say the primary ball handler is Kawhi. And they're going to have to make a decision to make one of the shooters beat them and maybe have, you know, maybe just have Gobert stay in the paint and, you know, like not guard a Marcus Morris or not, 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 not play any, put any defensive pressure on one of these bigs or any of these wings that he's going to have to be put on once the Clippers go small. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tough. This, I, you know, we'll, we'll get into our predictions here in a little bit, but, I, I really do not like this matchup for the Jazz for a variety of reasons, and you 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 made a couple of great points as to why. Yeah, like Gobert and and the Jazz defense is so good because they've got guys that can stick, that they, they can keep their perimeter guys out on the three point line and and force drives into Gobert where he can sort of shut everything down around the basket. But not only do the Clippers not rely on uh, on those you know interior buckets. They also, you know, have the ability to put out lineups where five guys can can space the floor. Now, Gobert 
and and you know Snyder might be able to figure out some minutes where Gobert can play when someone like a Terrence Mann or a Rondo or a Zubac, you know, if he can figure out and and sparse Gobert or play Gobert in the minutes where it's advantageous and he can play a, a less than knockdown shooter, then maybe they can sort of get away with that same style. But even that that starting lineup we saw in game seven against Dallas, where you've got Batum, Morris, Kawhi, PG, and Reggie Jackson, all of those guys are excellent three-point shooters. Uh, I, I guess out of those five, you know, who would you put him on? I assume for me, I, I would say yeah. Batum. So that's what's weird. Is like it doesn't really make sense in terms of size, but I guess you'd put him on Reggie Jackson, <laughs> right? Because out of all those guys, Reggie Jackson is just the guy who I feel is the most streaky, and he shot at forty percent less series. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, 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 that, that's that's what's kind of uh, interesting to me is that like I'm not really sure who they. And you know, uh, this might seem you know maybe best. Case. I'm I'm used to a lot of series, you know, especially in the finals, where we we see where you know the the question for the Cavs against the Warriors was like, all right, who do we leave open? And it was just a terrible answer regardless. Uh, Reddy Jackson and Nicholas Batum aren't like, they're not like, they're not like guys who are like, oh my god, like if Reddy Jackson and Nicholas Batum beat me, I'll let them. Like it, it's yeah, I, those guys are guys who are like what, like pickups, right? Like they, they didn't have to give anything up for either of those guys, and. The, those guys aren't guys who I think it, if I think if you put pressure on them consistently to just keep making shots in the series, that's what I really like what the Mavericks did today and really did it throughout the series, especially in the first half. They, they they put two bodies on Kawhi and they said, all right, even Paul George because between if you guys didn't hit those corner threes, go for it. But like Kawhi, you're not going to beat us, and it, I think that needs to be something that the Jazz can't be passive with. Like they can't say, oh, game one, Kawhi went off for 35 points. Let's start double. I think from the very first game, they have to put just a ton of pressure on Kawhi Leonard and make literally anyone else beat them, right? If Paul George gets hot, let Paul George get hot. Because he, I think that's what's, that's their chance in the series. I don't think they have the opportunity or the luxury to, you know, all right, we're the first seed. We're going to be able to see what kind of, uh, I think we know what the Clippers are going to bring, right? And I think the Clippers are ready now. They're, they're they, they, they're not going to be rusty at all. I think Kawhi is locked in. I, I think that they have to hard to trap him to start, like, to start every game. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a great sign, though, when we're breaking it down, and it seems like the best possible scenario for the Jazz defense, who is, you know, they, they were the number one defense of the NBA, according to Cleaning the Glass this year. Uh, it's it's not great that the, the best case scenario is, oh, just give Reggie Jackson, who's a 40% three-point shooter, a yeah. wide-open look. Uh, so that is that is the big concern going forward in this. And and, you know, on the other end, we've talked about that Mitchell is kind of their isolation guy, but the Jazz have a lot of players and their whole system is sort of about attacking a conventional defense with Gobert setting a bunch of screens and rolling to the rim and having that grab gravity as a vertical spacer and then spacing the floor. You know, Joe Ingles, I think, is largely effective against a conventional defense. I don't think Ingles has the athleticism to really attack a bunch one-on-one. And Mike Conley, to a certain extent as well, I think he's much more comfortable against that defense that's dropping where he can get in and take those right-hand floaters and, and those sorts of shots. So, you know, right off the bat, you see, okay, in a, in a, in a series where it might bog down to a lot of one-on-one sort of play, we're, seeing, we're saying on one side, oh, 
the Jazz just have to double Kawhi Leonard and give up open threes. And on the other end, a lot of the Jazz players are, are not that effective going, uh, you know, just one-on-one and attacking their man and scoring. Yeah, that's the thing. Is if your best scoring option besides uh, Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, it just, it's amazing that, like, you know, that's how great of a defense Jazz were, right, this, this entire season. That's how that's how great they played this entire season where they were able to get by with Gordon Clarkson being the second ball handler. And I, I think only well, I mean, third, third ball handler behind Mike Conley, but I mean, in terms of scoring option. And so that that's one of the things that I'm curious about is that there's going to be a lot of pressure on Boyan Bogdanovich, I think, to be a scorer. And he's going to have to take advantage of that because, I mean, and even then he's what, he's probably going to have Paul George guarding him, right? So uh, it's, it, it's a really tough matchup. Yeah, that's, that's uh, I'm glad you brought up Bogdanovich because he's a guy that I think in the post that is that is often underutilized in the Jazz offense and you you saw it like you know in that game one where they they lost to Memphis without Mitchell Bogdanovich seemed to be the go-to guy on the team and he can score on the block he's got a decent post-up game he can hit the three he can face up a little bit that's going to be something I think that the Jazz are going to have to go to at times in this series and and yeah, I think the initial matchup, whether that's Kawhi guarding him or as you said, Paul George, that might not be an advantage matchup, but the, the Jazz are going to have to, 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 you know, set some off ball screens for Bogdanovich, get a switch that's favorable, and then maybe Reggie Jackson is guarding him. And then you post up Bogdanovich, and then you can start to get some good looks. Yeah. The defensive scheme, you know, the, the pick and roll coverage, if I'm the Jazz, one of the things that, uh, I mean, obviously with Gobert, he he can switch. I think he's an underrated switch defender, but I, I don't think you obviously just want to be doing that 100% of the time. Uh, late in the shot clock, I think that can be effective. But, um, you know, if they're, if they're running pick and roll early on, I, I still think you just got to do what you've done all season and what you've done so well, which is drop him back into the paint and have him take away having anything inside and as you said kind of live with live with guys like Jackson and Batum if, if they're going to hit eight threes you know you probably just have to shake their hand and say congratulations yeah. uh, but if if Gobert can take away everything inside like he's done most of the year and they don't commit a bunch of fouls they don't send the Clippers to the free throw line then you know just maybe you can make it so that yeah if if they're shooting 40 plus percent on 40 three point attempts, yeah, you're probably going to lose. But if that's down to 35, you know, maybe you can, you can put up enough offense to, to win the ball game. Yeah. Um, Gobert also is, uh, you know, depending on how that drop works, if, if they start just torching from the mid range, which Kawhi Leonard is very capable of doing, you know, maybe you start to show Gobert a little bit higher as the series goes on, mix things up. Um, but uh, but yeah, the Clippers just have so much shooting. Yeah, the the straight the straight double teams is typically going to lead to a wide open shot, and and that's where the Clippers. I mean, they're the best shooting team, one of the best shooting teams in NBA history this year. So it is a challenge. How about on the other end? So if you're you know Shamir as as the Clippers and Ty Lue. How are you dealing with uh, what Utah brings in the pick and roll game? Yeah, so what I would do is I'd focus a lot of energy on Donovan Mitchell, and I think you can. I don't think you have to hard trap him or anything. I think I think with the talent that the, the Clippers have, they can just play him straight up. 
obviously, if Donovan Mitchell does get going, you know, maybe later on in the game, later on in the series, you could try, try trapping him a little bit more and, you know, see if, if some of the other guys can really get going. But I, I don't think the I don't think the Clippers can have to do anything too crazy. I, I think that they have the defensive talent where it, they, they can kind of just go straight up and, and, and beat them. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've seen at times uh, Mitchell be able to to beat switches, but I, I always go back to what was it? I think it was the 20 uh, the 2019 playoffs against the Rockets where Mitchell just had a horrendous series and they had they had some really good switchable defenders that were strong, like an Eric Gordon that uh, that made things difficult for him. But uh, obviously, Mitchell will, will have to prove in this series that and I think he has become a significantly better player, especially with the three point shot. I think he's become a, a better passer as well, taking advantage of defenses, showing him a little bit more attention. But, yeah, he's going to have to be big and and the Clippers have just a ton of size to, to throw at him. And another guy that I think was, you know, was not valuable in that Mavericks series because of Luca's ability to just post him up. Um, I think Patrick Beverly might uh, get some, some run in this matchup for Ty Lue, just because with Clarkson, with Conley, with Mitchell, you know, these are quick guards that you're dealing with. And Beverly is, is excellent as a defensive guard. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I, I'm interested to see where Patrick Beverly factors into this in terms of looking at the Jazz. I, I think well, another interesting thing that I'm kind of looking at is will Boyan Bogdanovich have an opportunity to, to succeed here? Because uh, I think, you know, as we're saying, the, it's not like he'll get a ton of open looks, right? Like, I, I don't think that uh, I don't think there's any guy on the Jazz, like we were talking earlier, like Luka Doncic, right? Don Mitchell isn't Luka Doncic. Yeah. They, they, they really aren't going to be able, they're not going to have to put that much attention on him to where a guy like Bojan Bogdanovic is going to get any easy looks. And, you know, Bojan Bogdanovic is going to be probably covered by a top-tier defender, right? Like Paul George is, isn't any scrub. He's one of the best defenders in the NBA. So uh, th- that's what I'm looking at in the season. Is like, where is where is the matchup that the Jazz have the advantage, right? I I just don't see it. Uh, I I think you'd say if Mike Conley's healthy, you know, they have a point guard advantage. But you know, if if you put either one of Kawhi or uh, you know PG on on him, you know, does he have the same success, right? As he usually would. We, we saw even Lucas for as great as the series he had when it was. One was down the stretch, and you put quiet on him. You know, he did. He, he did see. He, he did see him a little more fatigued because Kawhi is huge. His hands are big. How are you going to be able to run your offense? You know, for, when you have a guy like that tracking you down. Yeah, it's. Uh, you know, I think what makes Luca so special is if you've got a guy like Patrick Beverly or Reggie Jackson, he has really developed a post game in this last year, year and a half to where he can take advantage of that. If he's got a guy like Marcus Morris, he can, he can beat him a little bit with speed and certainly Mitchell can beat you with speed at times, but um, you know, the Clippers can just throw so much size at, at Donovan Mitchell, at Mike Conley, at Jordan Clarkson. I mean, heck the, we haven't really seen much of this, but, the Clippers could throw in this matchup like a lineup of of Paul George, Kawhi, Morris, Batum, and Zubach, and just have a gigantic basketball team out on the floor. 
and really make it difficult for Mitchell to get those shots off. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have the as good of a as inconsistent of a step back as, as Luca does. And, and Mitchell doesn't really have a, a post game either. So, you know, and, and Mitchell also is not six, eight, like Luca Mitchell's more, what, like six, three, six, four. So that size can, can, you know, make a difference that they can contest the shots reasonably well. So, you know, when I'm thinking about this series, I, I just go back to like on both ends of the floor, despite the fact that this, again, this Utah team was an unbelievable regular season team. One of the best regular season teams we've ever had in the NBA but in this particular matchup against this personnel, you know, you, you can see them struggling on both ends of the floor. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of a thing we see where it's like, you know, for as much flack over the last year or two, that Kawhi and Paul George have gotten, you know, taking days off in the regular season or, you know, whatever, that this is kind of the reason they do it. Right. Because they are built for the playoffs. These are guys, these guys, these are guys who have years and years of deep playoff experience. Right. You look at Paul George, He's been going to toe-to-toe with LeBron since, you know, early on his career in the conference finals. You, you look at Kawhi, I mean, you know, he doesn't really we don't have to talk about his experience. This is kind of like the reason why you do the, the you know, you have to perform here, right? You can't do what they did last year against the Nuggets, just completely blow a 3-1 lead. But the this is kind of the difference in that the Jazz are built for the regular season for success in the regular season. But in a playoff matchup, when you have guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, it's just it's it's really tough to to think. And on either end, it's not just offensively; it's defensively. It's not just defensively. These guys are guys who, on both ends, are going to give you so many problems. And that's why it was so scary when they got together two years ago. Yeah, and speaking of that that Nuggets series, part of the reason I think as that series went on that the Nuggets were able to clamp down a bit defensively is you know they they would show. Uh, Jokic up high on pick and roll and then when the Clippers would swing it around and attack the rim the Nuggets still had uh, Jeremy Grant uh, um, Paul Millsap Michael Porter Jr. they still had size around the rim to uh, to contest shots inside whereas this Jazz team as soon as Gobert is 30 feet from the basket I mean Bogdanovich is not a rim protector none of their other players really are much of a presence at the rim. So the versatility of this jazz defense just isn't as, as strong, even though, yeah, they're, they're a better defensive team than that nuggets group, but what the nuggets were able to do mixing things up and, and uh, you know, forcing that ball movement and still having multiple rim protectors is just something this jazz team doesn't have unless, unless they, they throw out, they go back old school and throw out a go bear favors four or five lineup, but then you're, you know, you're sacrificing on the offensive end with those groups. Yeah. And I think, you know, that, that's, it's, you know, maybe they've developed something in the playoff because we've seen this in the past too, right? Where, you know, you put Rudy Gobert in the perimeter and, you know, your, your defense is less valuable. He's less valuable individually. Let's see, maybe, maybe Quinn Snyder can, you know, conjure up something that, that makes that more meaningful. His minutes on the floor more meaningful. Yeah, the, the more the more I think about this series, the more it uh, it's leaning Clippers. But yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the the bench and coaching situation in this series. the 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 bench matchup is interesting because obviously the Jazz had the two front runners for sixth man of the year with Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles, and they've also got a solid backup center in Derek Favors. So their six through eight is pretty pretty darn strong when it comes to their bench. 
But the Clippers also just have so much versatility with their bench. We saw it in this game seven. They they played two guys in in Kennard and Mann who are probably like their 11th or 12th guys, and they contributed. So Lou has a lot more versatility that he can throw out there. If he if he wants to go big, he can he can play Zubac. If he wants, you know, more shooting, he's got he's got guys for that, especially in a, in a canard. If he needs more defense and and attacking the rim, he's got a guy in Terrence Mann. So the you know when when you when you look at the just the the names on the on the page, you think oh the Jazz have a clear bench advantage here, but that might not be the case. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Jazz. You were saying there's six through eight guys, right? They're they're some of the best bench guys in the NBA. The only problem is you have those six to eight guys, and you're really, really relying on this those six to eight guys. Not just in terms of bench guys, but in terms of guys who are gonna have to play when your best player isn't Rudy Gobert or your second best player Rudy Gobert isn't going to because of you know sort of the the, the matchup issues that we see. And so, can they take on that bigger role? And I, I think that they have these guys that are, are really good off the bench, but the Clippers just have a ton of guys. And now yeah, that's also interesting to see because we know in the playoffs, rotations get smaller, right? So it doesn't matter that the Clippers can go 11 if they're only going to play eight. Well, yeah, it, I think it does matter because we saw in this last series, they can make adjustments. And I don't even think the Clippers are going to be the team, in my, in my opinion, that are going to have to make adjustments going into the series. I think it'll probably be the Jazz. Yeah. And, you know, again, if, if Conley's out for any period of time, then you you go from eight like big good guys to down to seven. That moves Ingles probably into the starting lineup that forces Clarkson into a more prominent role. And it feels like Clarkson is very comfortable when he's, you know, the seventh man, as opposed to being the only guy off the bench that can create offense. That seems to be a bit too much for him. Uh, yeah. So. So yeah, the the other the other question is the the coaching situation. Um, you know, speaking of of Quinn Snyder, he's one of the finalists for Coach of the Year. He's obviously developed a fantastic system that has maximized what this roster could do this season. Uh, but you look at a guy like Ty Lue, who is one of the best in terms of the out of box thinking, and and he'll go small if he has to. He was willing to. He he stuck with the small lineups even after. Uh, the Rick Carlisle threw in Boban and Boban was, was doing some work in that, uh, in those last couple of games, but Lou stuck to his guns and ended up panning out. So yeah. Who do you, who do you like in this, this coaching matchup? I think Quinn Snyder's overall coaching philosophy and the template that he brings for the jazz to operate on both ends. I like, I, I prefer Quinn Snyder in that regard, but well, the one thing that I will say about Tyrone, though, and I, I watched him pretty closely, especially in his Cleveland days, is for whatever issues I, I think you know, Tyrone might have, he always made adjustments. He was never hesitant to make adjustments on the fly. I, I remember, you know, in, the, in his Warriors series, he, he was always he was. I, I remember it was such a sharp contrast to David Blatt, where you know David Blatt was just like. I don't know. You know, the media is really saying we need a team of Moscow about this, but it, so it's like he's a guy who who's really confident in himself. And I, I think he uses it to his advantage, where he can make adjustments on the fly when need be. Right? We saw in, we saw in the, in the Mavs series. I think that's actually one of the biggest you know pros about Tyloo 
And it's and I think when you have guys like a Kawhi and Paul George, it's like, all right, do you really need some like really you know uh, intricate offensive scheme? Uh, you you, you kind of don't. So I think in the playoff series, it's more about all right, what adjustments am I going to make? I think you know we you and me have talked about some past podcasts where it's like one of the issues we have with uh, Coach Budenholzer, where you know all right, sure you have this great scheme, you have this great like offense, you have this great you have this great plan, but when it comes to making adjustments in the series, if you're not going to do it, then what's the point? You know, uh, the, the, what's the point? You just let the, play, just let the players play, you know? Yeah. And Bud continues to frustrate by playing Giannis 35 minutes in, in game one of their second round series against Brooklyn yeah. and saying that, oh, we're we're a deep team. Well, you know, Giannis is better than anyone else you have on yeah. your bench. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great point that, Ty Lu has been a guy that has consistently made adjustments, has, has shown to be a, a very solid postseason coach. And uh, he'll, you know, there there are a few times in every series where I'm I'm kind of wondering, okay, why why is he doing this? But yeah. but uh, you know, I guess more often than not, it actually pans out. So uh yeah, that uh that coaching matchup will be will be fascinating. So, so who are some who are some X factors in this series? You know, obviously looking past the likes of of Donovan Mitchell and Kawhi Leonard and and Paul George and Gobert, who are some guys on you know the the supporting players that that might make a big impact in this series? Yeah, so I think for the Clippers, uh, I would say it's Nicholas Batum. You know, we were talking earlier. If he's left open, right, he only shot thirty percent from three point line, right, in the last series. Uh, he, I mean, he's an adequate three-point shooter, but you know, if he's a guy who they're saying, all right, all right Nicholas Batum, you, you, you're going to have to knock down threes, is he going to be able to do that on a, consistent, on a consistent enough basis? And then the other guy for the Jazz, I think, and I talked about this a little bit earlier, is probably Boyan Bogdanovich. If he's the guy who's going to have to be the second scoring option for this team, will he be able to put up big numbers in bunches? Will he be a guy who they can go to consistently in crunch time? When you know Donovan Mitchell is being you know hounded by Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, right? So he's going to be a guy where he it's it's almost he can't just be the X factor for the Jazz to have a chance. He has to be one of the best players in the series for the Jazz to have a chance. Um, and, and, and so those are two guys. That, one guy on each team, I think, should be X factors in the series. Yeah, those are those are great picks and. Uh... Yeah, we, we saw Batum in, in game seven just making a bunch of really great defensive plays as well. You know, it's not just his his offense, but him, you know, he had a couple of blocks on Boban and just uh, making a making those, uh, uh, you know, those those nice passes to connect the offense and everything as well. So, yeah, Batum, great, great choice there. And and yeah, we, we already mentioned Bogdanovich and his uh, potential value against, you know, match up, certain matchups on the block. But uh, yeah, the the guys that I wanted to to bring up, I already I already briefly mentioned Patrick Beverly, but I think he's a guy that again, everybody's sort of forgot that he's on the Clippers after that last series. But I think he can make a big impact with his defense because again, a lot of the scoring punch from the Jazz coming from the backcourt. And then uh, I think Zubac can can also be a guy that didn't play much in the last series just because I think you know Luca torched him every time he was on the floor. So Lou basically got to the point where he was only playing him when Luca was sitting. Whereas I think he can play a little bit more in this series and maybe, you know, matched up against favors, uh, just, uh, you know, overwhelm favors with his size to a certain extent. 
So yeah, I think a couple of guys that were not uh, were not big factors in the map series can can all of a sudden step up and, and play a role. And then yeah, for the Jazz, like you know, we mentioned for their offense to be sustainable and, and effective, it's gonna be it's gonna be Bogdanovich. It's obviously gonna be Mitchell, but it's also gonna be Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson. Those are guys that can can hit step back threes, can can take some difficult shots, can go off the dribble, draw some fouls, hit floaters. So those guys are going to be instrumental as well. And if Utah wants to be able to, you know, I imagine, you know, the, the Jazz are going to have to have an offensive rating in the 110s at the very least to compete in this series. And, you know, those are a couple of guys that are, if they're good enough, can get them there. Yeah, I, I think the I think the biggest thing, uh, as we kind of talked about, is where are those where are those guys who are going to create their own shot coming from in Utah? You know, and you know maybe and be a little bit too pessimistic with Jordan Clarkson if he if he plays consistently, you know maybe that's a guy who gives the Clippers some trouble. Um, I've just seen too many bad Jordan Clarkson games in my <laughs> in my uh, uh, in my time watching the NBA, but. Uh, you know, that could be something where if you have Jordan Clarkson playing really well, that's a consistent source of offense. I think the key also just comes down to, you know, where, where's my colleague's hamstring going to be at? Yeah, and, and Clarkson, I feel like when he has the bad games, it's typically that he, he, uh, he gets too one-dimensional. He starts taking just a bunch of really difficult threes. Uh, when he's at his best, I feel like he's mixing it up. He's taking an occasional three. He's getting, you know, he's playing off the ball some and getting an occasional spot up. He's getting into the pain and putting up those floaters, drawing fouls. Uh, and and that's where the whole switching system of the Clippers, if they take away a lot of those opportunities around the basket for Clarkson and he becomes just a, I'm just going to take really difficult threes for most of my shot attempts, I could see it going wrong pretty quickly for him. But uh, yeah, so let's get into my favorite question with all of these uh, these preview pods, and that is the down 0-2 in the series adjustments. So uh, we the Clippers and, and Ty Lue, which Shamir, you were acting as Ty Lue, they got into this exact situation in the first round. They lost the first two at home and were and managed to pull it out in seven. But if the if it's deja vu and they're down 0-2 again against Utah. What are some what are some out of the box adjustments that Lou could make to change the momentum of the series? Yeah, let me just add, let me just go on a slight tangent there. I, I, you know, we said something about the Clippers losing the first two at home in the first round. The NBA needs to figure something out. Where it, to me, it's ridiculous that some teams get a full stadium and some teams get. And I know it's based on state and local laws. Yeah, but there there should be some sort of competitive balancing where it's like, all right, if this team has ten percent capacity of the fans, the other team can't have more than ten percent capacity. I agree. Like, it, it's it's like the most ridiculous. Like it's such a it's like a it's like night and day. Like the difference between the Clippers games, like you you look at like Dallas Mavericks games, right? Like it's like pre pandemic levels, and you look at the Clippers, and it's like like a zombie apocalypse like that it's kind of ridiculous because you look at a team and they have a home court advantage and they can't use it at all all right fine if it's based in the state and local law but then restrict the other team too it's a, the same level of capacity because you're that's just i think that's like a pretty easy solution 
I mean, I, I completely agree with you, but the NBA is always going to value profits over quote unquote yeah. fairness. <laughs> you know? yeah. So um, by, by restricting areas and stadiums that allow for more, they're, they're technically, you know, um, yeah. you know, uh, setting money on fire. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, they, they shouldn't do that. I think the other critique here, more than just, like, with the NBA control, is I think uh, California has been, like, one of the most strict states in terms of just their code. Like, uh, their code, like, even, like, states like New York and stuff are kind of, you know, like, even Brooklyn games, uh, you know, Knicks games, they it, it, it seem at least some level of normalcy. And, uh, yeah, but getting back to your normal, uh, I gave back to your original question, down 0-2. Now, see, I, I know for me, when I, when I think about this question about down being down 0-2, I have to think about the factors that would lead to the Jazz being up 2-0, right? I think that, like, Donovan Mitchell is going to have to be playing his best games, right? He's going to have to limit his turnovers. He's going to have to get guys involved. You have to have Jordan Clarkson shooting out of his mind. You have to have Boyan Bogdanovich, you know, taking most of his opportunities regardless of who the defender is. And when I look at when I look at that, those being sort of the, and you know, Royce O'Neal's gonna have to be playing out of his mind. When, when I look at those sort of facts, oh, I just remembered the, I just remembered the the beef that one of these players uh, have on each team. Do you do you, do you remember uh, yet? I don't. I don't think I know what you're referring to, but yeah, go there's ahead. A, there's a beef between uh, Joe Ingles and Paul George from that uh, Jazz uh, Thunder series. Oh yeah, that's right. I think Joe Ingles gets under just about every opponent's skin in the postseason. I remember him getting under the skin of uh, JJ Redick when the the Jazz played the Clippers back when when Hayward was a member of the Jazz. It was I, if I remember correctly, I think so. The Jazz won that series against Thunder, correct? Yes. And I remember Joe Ingles like playing really really well a couple of those games. So you know maybe I, I don't know. Paul George is a guy who. In the last couple of years, we, we've seen some shaky performances from him, right? So maybe if a guy like Jordan can get under his skin, maybe that's something to look out for. But back to the initial question, I think you also have to see how the Clippers start off. I think if the Clippers start off, you know, going big to match up Gobert and they're hesitant to go small, I think the adjustment they can make there is similar to one they made in Dallas series where you just go smaller throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 and that is actually an interesting thing to see. What do you think? Do you think that they're going to start off big in the series? I would be surprised if they did, just given yeah. that they, they've they already shown what they're going to do when their season is on the line. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that we they've had two elimination games now, and they went small in both. And, yeah, again, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more Zubach with the bench units get more extended run but yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would be surprised if they don't start small, just because I think Lou is going to want to make that statement right off the bat that Rudy Gobert is going to be uncomfortable in this series. Yeah, and that's just such a that's such a weird thing. But just like you know, when you look at roster building, Rudy Gobert is just like once in a lifetime room protector, and you can scheme him out to an extent, right? And I think even going forward for the Jazz, like you know, if they win the series, great. If they don't, I just that, that, that's like something that's really confusing for me because it's like he is one of your best players, he's one of the best defenders in the NBA, but in a in a series where you're playing against really anyone, right, in almost any matchup, you can kind of do this other than maybe 
you know, like the Lakers at the end, like Anthony Davis, are really talented bigs. But at the core of your scheme, when you have guys who are operating on the perimeter and they're your main, uh, they're your main scoring options, then where does that leave Rudy Gobert in terms of? Because he just is too valuable to keep out there defending the perimeter. Yeah, and you know maybe we're maybe we're overvaluing the the idea that the Clippers can just space him out and you know him yeah. taking away the basket doesn't matter. I mean we we saw at times you know again in the uh, in the Nuggets series last year with the Clippers and uh, at various times when the Mavs just went huge in that zone and tried to take away the basket that that slowed the Clippers offense down some. You know yeah. I, I think even for a team as jump shot happy and as good at shooting as the Clippers are, it still is nice to have a variety to your offense where you're occasionally getting to the free throw line, where you're occasionally getting easy buckets inside. So, you know, yeah, maybe we are, uh, you know, um, underestimating the, the effect that Gobert will have if, if he does, if he is able to stay on the floor and just take, do what he's done all year, which is take away anything easy inside. Uh, You know, it's, it's hard to know, but yeah, there, it's one thing when you're spacing the floor and it's Brooke Lopez, you know, and, and you're, you're saying, okay, Brooke Lopez take 15 threes, but if it's Reggie Jackson or Marcus Morris are the guys that are taking 15 threes, that's uh, that's where it gets difficult. Those guys are legitimately unbelievable shooters. And uh, that that's where it, that it's, it's tough. I, I guess. Yeah. The hope is, and, and that's where I would say maybe put him on Batum is maybe Batum out of that starting lineup might be the, or at least the starting lineup we saw in game seven against Dallas. Batum might be the guy that I would say, okay, he's got the best chance of maybe going cold from downtown. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you there. Now, um, for for the Jazz, if, if Utah gets down 0-2, they lose both in L.A. and we're coming back to Utah as Quinn Snyder, a couple of the things that that I would that I would consider doing is, you know, and I've mentioned a couple of these things, but uh, you know, staggering Gobert's minutes maybe away from uh, the starters a little bit, and he, I know they they typically take Gobert out early and play him and Conley with the second unit, but maybe even more so, maybe be even more drastic and take him out after four or five minutes and bring him back when one of Kawhi or PG is not on the floor and maybe a a guy that has come off the Clippers bench that isn't as great of a shooter is out there. So you can hide Gobert to a certain extent. So that would be, that would be one thing, just maneuvering his minutes to try to get the most out of him as you possibly can. And then, you know, the, uh, another couple of things is, I wouldn't be, if I'm Quinn Snyder, I would not be afraid to match the Clippers going small at times as well. The, the, we, we talked about the, the Jazz have, especially if Conley is out there and healthy, they've got Ingles and, and Clarkson, two guys off their bench that can come in and they're small. They can shoot, pass, and dribble. The Jazz can put out five-man lineups of guys that could shoot, pass, and dribble reasonably well, if not as talented as the Clippers pretty close so you know we've seen at times where coaches have just been like oh we're not going to downsize we're not going to play to them but I think the Jazz can actually match up and maybe have some stretches where they outplay the Clippers small yeah I mean that is possible and you look at guys like Joe Ingles and if you have a lineup with 
those guys on your wing are, you know, let's say you take Gobert out, right? You have Royce O'Neal, Bogdanovich, you go super small. Uh, you get Royce O'Neal, Bogdanovich, Mitchell, uh, and Ingles. You have guys who can really shoot. And you have a guy in Donovan Mitchell when he can create. But that's, I mean, for as much as we're talking about these other guys, if, if Donovan Mitchell, you know, can figure out a way to, you know, penetrate his defense, that could be an X factor in itself. Uh, you know, I, I think that this series is pretty big to see where, or, you know, we saw what Luka Doncic should do. I don't, I think we both agree that we don't think Donovan Mitchell can come close to that. But can he? Can he come close? Can, 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 uh, what is what is what Donovan Mitchell brings here uh, to the series? Yeah, if he's playing anything as well as the other book, Donovich in Atlanta, you know, Utah might have a chance. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the 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 one one final thing I had as far as an O2 adjustment for the Jazz would be emphasize slipping screens in the pick and roll. If they're switching those, just don't even set the screen. Just quickly go out of it, hit the guy on the on that on that slip roll, and then go from there. And we've seen Utah be pretty good at that in the past, and I'm sure that's something Quinn Snyder is gonna uh, gonna focus on with his team. And that's where the Clippers switching is gonna be tested. Where when when teams do that and they don't actually set the screen and slip out, you shouldn't actually switch in that scenario. You should just stick with your assignment. But causing those little miscommunications is going to be another little intricate X's and O's battle in this uh, in this matchup. Yeah, I, I think the, the way the Clippers defend the screens will be interesting too. Uh, I, I think the I, I think as we said earlier, as I said earlier, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to me. It'll be interesting to see for me if the Jazz can you know have enough success early on in the series to make the Clippers kind of really change the way they defend their pick and roll. You know, it, 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 is it going to be something where Donovan Mitchell has some success on one of the primary defenders of Clippers and, and it sort of, you know, forces something different from Tyron. I don't expect it. I, I mean, many have tried to, you know, to many have tried uh, Kawhi Leonard and not many have succeeded. Right? Yeah. So let's uh, let's get to the uh, let's get to the series prediction. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to pick? I'll go first. Uh, I think uh, so. I'm uh, I'm pretty confident that the Clippers are going to win this series. I, I have them winning in five. I, I I I hope I'm wrong. I hope I see, we see a better series here. It's just that I think the Clippers were built for this type of series, right? Where you're playing in the playoffs. You have you know a coach who can make adjustments and a roster that's really really versatile. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I mean, if the, if you know, I guess one of the things we even talk about is you know maybe they have bad shooting games, but I, I just think they have too much firepower, and especially with this this Mike Conley lingering injury, I just don't think that the Jazz have enough to to beat them. Yeah, I'm largely in agreement. I'm going to give a you know and. Just uh, announce more respect to the Jazz and what they've done this year, and I'll say Clippers in six. But absolutely, mm-hmm. I would lean closer to Clippers in five than I would Clippers in seven. I, I just think, it, I, I, you know, again, I, I want to emphasize that I think this Jazz team is for real. I just think this particular matchup for them is is about as as bad as it gets. And yeah. I think, you know, if, if the Jazz were facing the Suns or the Nuggets in this round, I would probably favor them. But uh, because it's the Clippers, uh, that, that uh, you know, the L.A. just has so much firepower. And, yeah, their strengths uh, sort of counteract what Utah can do. So 
Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's move on to the other Western Conference semifinal series, and that is the two seed Phoenix Suns taking on the three seed Denver Nuggets. I'm going to be acting as the Nuggets and Mike Malone. Shamir will act as the Suns and Monty Williams. Phoenix finishing the year at 51 and 21 overall, sixth in offense, sixth in defense, third in net rating at positive 6.2. They defeated the Los Angeles Lakers in six games. And then the Denver Nuggets, 47 and 25 overall, fifth in offense, 11th in defense, sixth in net rating at positive 5.5. And they knocked off the Portland Trailblazers in six games. So the the regular season matchups were incredibly tight. Uh, Denver ended up winning two out of the three meetings. Phoenix won the first one on January 1st, 106-103. Then Denver won a back-to-back both in overtime with Denver winning on January 22nd, 130 to 126. And then on the 23rd, 120 to 112, that one being a double OT. So we've got a matchup, two teams that are both, you know, both put together terrific regular seasons and in the regular season matchups as well seem to be incredibly evenly matched. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for the series. I think the only kind of, uh, your bummer for me is that we're not going to be able to see Jamal Murray in the series. I, I think it would have been a great series to see Devin Booker versus Jamal Murray. So that's the kind of thing that, that sort of bums me out. Just, it sort of bums me out about the, the Denver's overall uh, playoff chances. Just because we saw what they could do at, at full strength last year. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm still excited to see the series. I'm just excited to see you know, Chris Paul advance. So one, one of the things that kind of saddened me early on, in uh, last round's Lakers game, Lakers series is him getting hurt early on. I, I hope he stays healthy. He's had such terrible luck in, in the playoffs with injuries. And I'm really excited to see you know, Chris Paul further on in, in, in these playoffs. Yeah, Paul struggling mightily in that series shot. Just two of ten from three, uh, only attempting ten threes in the six games and making only two. And then he was also... 40% from the mid-range, which he this regular season was up at 53%. So that shoulder certainly impacting it. And, and you could see him just passing up shots at times and even initially struggling to handle the basketball with his right hand. Uh, but he did look better as the series uh, went on. And he also, it should be noted that there were three days off between the Suns beating the Lakers and what will be the start of uh, this Suns Nuggets series Monday night. So uh, hopefully, yeah, for, for Suns fans and, and just for NBA fans in general, I'm hoping that Chris Paul is, is looking more like himself. And uh, because as you said, it's been just a bunch of bad luck over the years for him. And it seems like it always happens at the worst possible moment. Uh, but yeah, he's going to be, he's going to be vital in this matchup and, you know, the way Denver, again, I, I talked about it when we were briefly discussing Denver and the Clippers last year, they're going to, especially against Devin Booker, you're probably going to see a lot of Jokic coming up high, trapping, or just showing high, forcing him to pass the basketball. There's going to be swing, swing, and the ball will at various times end up in Chris Paul's hands with an open three. And uh, is he healthy enough to take it and make that shot and make the Nuggets defense pay? Yeah, I, I think over the past two years, we've we've seen Jokic get the kind of respect that, that he deserves. I think you know, using him in a scheme where, where, where he's trapping is kind of the perfect utilization to take advantage of you know any deficiency he has uh, defensively. Uh, what I'm actually kind of interested to see is 
what they're going to do uh, in terms of letting Chris Paul or Devin Booker run the offense. I think one of the things that the Lakers had success with is they really got the ball out of Chris Paul's hands and said, all right, someone else run the offense. Uh, the, the, now, the issue is De- Devin Booker is, a, is an amazing scorer, right? So uh, one of the interesting things for me is are the are the Nuggets going to do something similar where they say, all right, Chris Paul, you're not going to get the ball. Devin Booker, he's going to be the guy who uh, he, you know, he's going to have to run the offense. Or when Devin Booker's not on the floor, really, really just making sure Chris Paul doesn't run the offense. Now, the, 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 the interesting thing for me right now is that the, the Suns are pretty strong where the Nuggets are weak, right? So in terms of guard play, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are, are much superior to any of the guards the Nuggets have. And so that's going to be kind of an interesting thing for me is where, you know, when you're Nuggets, you're relying on Monty Morris and Austin Rivers. Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't see how you're going to get too much resistance uh, defensively. Right. Yeah. The um, even even a guy that might come back and Will Barton, which, again, we have we have no idea. They've they've continued to say that he's close. But I feel like we had the same story in last year's postseason where he was close to coming back in the first round and they made the conference finals and he never returned. Yeah. Uh, so so who knows if, if Barton is going to be a factor and play at all or, you know, you know, I w- it wouldn't shock me if he's starting game one either. So that's that's a big question mark over this series. But even Barton is not really a defensive guard. He's more just going to boost the Nuggets offensive game. So yeah, the, the Nuggets are going to, and, and that's where they're going to, I think, rely on their front court, their size to, to trap on the ball and then be able to have those secondary rim protectors try to take away anything else inside and, and force the Suns like a Jay Crowder, like a Tory Craig, like a Chris Paul, force those guys to knock down threes. But uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. I, um, as far as the, the nuggets, you know, you, you, you brought up my biggest, my biggest fear as uh, Mike Malone would be just the guard play of the Suns, especially if Chris Paul is looking more like a hundred percent, but also their ball movement. One thing that I think was an underrated factor in the nuggets beating the blazers is Portland is just not a very good passing team. Uh, you know, Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic are solid passers, but their role players are really not known for making the extra pass, seeing things two steps ahead. Whereas the Suns, I think across the board, have pretty solid passers. They're an unselfish basketball team, and they're going to move the basketball around and, and and get good looks. It's just a matter of knocking them down. Yeah, and I think, I know I said this in the Clippers recap, I think it's similar for the Suns where I, I think the the Suns have really played the toughest team that, that they're going that, that they're going to be. I, I know the Lakers didn't have Anthony Davis towards the end of that series that you know probably played a part in them being able to win. But even still, beating LeBron James' team in the first round is something that no one can say, right? So that, that's just a, a big confidence booster in terms of. I don't think this team is going to be scared at all. And you know when we were talking about the guard play, and you know you were saying that. Uh, as Mike Malone, that's something that scares you. You know, Cameron Payne shocked me in terms of how good, how good he's playing. Like, that was yeah. – he was – like, I, I couldn't believe some of the shots Cameron Payne hit last series. Yeah, I mean, he was genuinely – for most of that series, I thought he was better than Chris Paul. Now, Paul, I think, in games maybe 
as we got to game five and six, maybe it was getting to the point where Paul was maybe better than Payne. But for most of that series, I thought Payne was was just better. Uh, but which is, you know, more of a testament to Payne and how good he has been, especially since the bubble last year where he really showed out. But uh, yeah, he he also just gives them a different element as well. He sort of gives what what the Lakers hope to get from Schroeder, kind of just that speed, that explosion to the rim. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Payne able at various times in this series to sort of dribble around the doubles, the 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 uh, the hedges from Jokic and and get to the rim then. Uh, but but yeah, the the guard play is a concern. The other thing that I think you know. Phoenix matches up really well with Denver's size in the front court. You know, I think one of the things that another underrated factor of Denver getting out of that series against the Blazers was that Gordon always had a pretty favorable matchup size wise and MPJ as well. Whereas Phoenix, they've got Mikhail Bridges, they've got Jay Crowder, they've got Torrey Craig, which is a fun revenge series for Torrey Craig because the Nuggets just basically tossed him for no reason. Uh, and, you know, uh, th- those guys can are not only bigger just to be able to contest a, a Porter Jr. three or to deal with, um, you know, a, a, a random post up from from Aaron Gordon, but they're just they're just much better defenders one-on-one than what Portland offered. Yeah. I think the, I think one of the things when the series is what, what, at least for the, the Nuggets is how are they going to defend DeAndre Ayton? I, I think the, he had a better series than I was expecting uh, against the Lakers. And so I'm a little, uh, I'm a little confused to see how they're going to defend against him. Yeah, uh, he he obviously was uh, was a monster with the Lakers again, rightfully being concerned about Booker and 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 Chris Paul at times scoring on them. That that Aiden was able to take advantage of the lack of attention, and he's good at with the lob threat. He can catch it, score with a, a jump hook or a little short jumper, or can make the pass to the corner if the defense collapses. So yeah, Aiden is is was was huge in that win against the Lakers. He'll obviously be big in this series for for a multitude of reasons, uh, including his ability to stay on the floor and avoid getting in foul trouble with Jokic. But Jokic has also said, uh, he's been quoted prior to the series saying that Aiden defends me pretty well. And I think the guys that give Jokic some problems are the guys that, and we saw a little bit with this with Nurkic towards the end of that series where he started pressing up on Jokic, contesting those jumpers a little bit tighter and forcing Jokic to put it on the floor. But if you have the ability as a big to not only have the size to, to press up and, and contest well on those jump shots, but then to move your feet if Jokic fakes and puts it on the floor and prevent him from just rumbling straight to the rim, that, that gives him a little bit of an issue. You know, Jokic, obviously the, the, uh, the likely MVP of the league, so you, you're not going to completely stop him, but Aiton seems to be one of those guys that is a reasonable facsimile of, of someone that you would want to slow him down. Yeah, really, one thing for me about this Nugget series is I my respect level for Nikola Jokic over the last couple of seasons has grown like exponentially. I, I think uh, he is a guy who is so multifaceted that, you know, I, I think most people would say, you know, the Suns are probably favored in the series. But Nikola Jokic closes a lot of the gap for me. He's he's the guy in this in any series now for me that he's a guy. He's he's a blockbuster type player now. 
right? Like he's a guy where I look at him like, I don't want to play against this guy in a playoff series. Yeah. So uh, that's one thing where it's like, all right, you know, we we talk about X's and O's all we want. Nikola Jokic is a guy who he's a big time player. And uh, I think that, you know, if the Nuggets are going to be successful or take this series deep, he's going to be great. And that's something where I don't even have to really hesitate to say. I I think Nikola Jokic is going to be great. I think the the interesting thing for me is going to be the other guys in their team. Uh, I think, you know, we're going to get tight cycle a little bit, but some of these other guys on their team are going to have to hit shots because without Jamal Murray, the, the very, they're going to, they're going to send everybody at Jokic. Yeah. And what was, what's, what makes Jokic so special is not just his ability to score, but that he can score in a variety of ways. And he's a threat wherever he is on the floor. So not only can you post him up if he has a mismatch, you know, if, if he's ever on the floor against Kaminsky or Saric, he's going to make mincemeat out of him. He's just going to bully them to the rim and score. So that's going to be something interesting as well as can Aiton stay out of foul trouble, unlike Yusuf Nurkic, who fouled out three times in that six-game series. Uh, that's going to be vital. But, you know, not only his ability to post up, but then he can pick and pop and – at, we, we saw the Blazers defense was very much just we're going to treat him like he's Dirk Nowitzki. And when he sets a screen, we're not leaving his body. We're just going to stay here. But then guys like Monte Morris, who, yes, are limited offensive players. But if they get ahead of steam and basically your defense is offering no help to stop them getting to the rim, all of a sudden Morris is capable of, of averaging 20 points in a series. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I noticed in the Lakers series, and I, I kind of wish they went to a little bit more the Lakers, uh, they put Marcus Saul whenever he was on the floor. I, I am so angry at how terribly uh, Andre Drummond, after like the first game or two, she should not have seen the floor again. Like he should have just been like locked to the bench. But one of the things that the Lakers did have success with is they put Marcus on the high post, and they sort of ran like a two-man game with him and LeBron. I think that one of the ways that the Nuggets can, you know, take advantage of just Jokic, and he operates out of the high post anyways, is really just use him as a passer there, bring the bigs out, and let some of the, the wings attack. So I think that's one of the ways that Michael Porter Jr. can get some really easy looks in the series. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's amazing. You know, I think Mike Malone has done a really good job of mixing things up on the offensive end to keep defenses off balance. You know, game one of that series against the Blazers, they just did heavy post-ups of Jokic because they were playing him one-on-one. And Jokic was was pretty efficient, but the offense in general was not good enough. So in for from game two on, Malone basically said, you know, yeah, we'll we'll post up Jokic occasionally when it's a mismatch, but for the most part, we're going to have him be the screener and make other players better. And Jokic is still good enough to get 25 or 30 just playing off the ball for most of the game. You know, he's something else. I, I was actually, uh, I think he is one of the best players left in the playoffs. And I think that uh, it just comes back to I wish they had Jamal Murray. Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm right there with you. I I think I might have even picked the Nuggets to go all the way if Murray was healthy. They they were looking like they were a team that was, uh, you know, playing their best at the right time and and had two stars that had, uh, well, really three if you consider Michael Porter Jr. one as well, which he's blossoming into one, uh, you know, and 
they're all young, but they've all had, they all have great chemistry and they were, um, you know, they've got that playoff experience now, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's impressive that we're still talking about them. And I think they're going to be competitive in a second round series, even without their second best player. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I agree. the, 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 uh, as far as the, the bench and coaching matchup in this series, we've got uh, a couple of coaches that I think are underrated. Monty Williams, one of the guys, I think that, that, uh, he's probably the favorite right now to win coach of the year. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about Mike Malone, he's a guy that at times has made some bonehead decisions, of course, most notably with the whole Mason Plumley putting him in the game when Anthony Davis hit that game winner in game two of last year's, uh, Western conference finals. But, uh, he, I, I, I think he's, he's been a pretty solid coach as well. What do you think about this, uh, this coaching matchup in this series Two two guys that I think have really. Uh, have really done a good job on the as far as building a culture at their respective organizations. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for Mike Malone and obviously Monty Williams as well. I I, I think the only thing that I kind of hold against uh, Monty Williams, I don't know if it's really to hold against him, but uh, probably more of management. It's just I just remember some of those uh, Pelican series with, with when they had Anthony Davis, and I felt like they weren't able to maximize. Uh, his talent. I mean, they didn't really have a great roster. Um, and they were also playing, I believe they were playing the Warriors in the yeah. one or two series that they made the playoffs. Yeah. And so, so and, you know, and to his credit, they, they, they beat the Blazers in a series with uh, Monty Williams in a series where, you know, I, I think the Blazers were, were favored as well. And obviously they lost the Warriors in the next round. But Mike Malone, I, I really love the, their scheme. I really love how, like, intact. He is with with Jokic. I feel like you know it's it's like you know when Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were out, were out there together. Or you look at some of these quarterback coach combinations. It's like it's like they're in sync, and I, I really like I really like how in sync they are. And I think this is like a a coaching matchup, a player matchup, where I think I hope they see a lot of playoff success because I think they're really great together. Yeah, and you can tell there's just a mutual love, admiration for each other. I, I saw there was there was a clip when Malone won his. 300th regular season game as a coach earlier this year and and uh, the team basically had a surprise for him with champagne and stuff after the game in the locker room and you could just see Jokic was the one coordinating it all and was really happy yeah. for him and when they when they won that uh when they finished off the Blazers in game six you could see them hugging it out at the end of the series just so happy for each other so yeah I, I agree that it's a it's a great duo and uh you know I think as far as just human beings, I think it doesn't get much better than Mike Malone and, and Monty Williams. So I'll be yeah. happy for whoever gets out of this series and wins it. Um, yeah, for sure. As far as the, as far as the bench, I feel like this is a, this is a pretty, pretty much a toss up and, you know, both teams have, have some solid bench options. Now the Nuggets bench will be better if, if uh, Barton is available and he's either coming off the bench or he starts and pushes a quality player like an Austin rivers to their bench unit. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the big, the big element I referenced earlier is okay. The, the nuggets, I think are pretty good across the board. You know, they bring in their best guard in Monte Morris off the bench. They uh, they've got a guy in, uh, they've got a couple of guys in Paul Millsap and Jamichael green who can make plays and are solid defenders. 
Whereas the Suns, that I like Cameron Johnson. I like Torrey Craig as a fourth wing. I like uh, I like Cameron Payne, but uh, I'm still very very concerned about that backup center position. And again, in a series against Nikola Jokic, the not having a backup center that I trust on really either end of the floor is uh, is is definitely a concern. Yeah, that's one of the things I noticed even Lakers series, and I don't think Lakers are adequately able to take advantage, but. The Suns not having any sort of backup center that you can, like, I mean, I, I don't even count Frank as, as a viable backup center that you can put in there to defend anyone. It's kind of ridiculous to me in terms of team building, just because they, they're really well built, I think. Uh, I, I just think that, I think athletic bigs are not that hard to find. Like, like even ones that are a little bit offensively challenged, just, just a guy you can throw in there uh, defensively, like a, like I don't even like even like a Dwayne Dedman type of guy, where, where you can just throw in there and just put a body on someone. Uh, but I like the I like the Suns bench, and I think one of the things that they're really able to take advantage of, and I was impressed with, is a lot of their guys were able to knock down open shots. And I, I think when you have guys who, who attract a lot of attention on offense, like a Devin Booker, like a Chris Paul, you, you need guys to, to knock down shots, and they do have guys where I'm pretty confident, like. Cameron Johnson and Mikael Bridges were knocking down their shots uh, yeah. last well, series. And, and Torrey Craig, the only one that isn't a great shooter, he's a very good cutter, good offensive rebounder, so he does some other things to to help your offense other than than hitting shots. Yeah, and, and I think uh, I mean Jake Crowder was out of his mind in the game six that they won. Yeah, uh, after yeah. after being incredibly cold to start the series. Jake Crowder is one of the most confusing players that I've ever watched. I I got to watch him pretty closely for half the season when he was in the Cavs, and he was just playing like he played awfully, and then he got traded to the Jazz later that season. He started you know finding his rhythm back, but he's like a very very streaky player offensively. One of the things I do like is that he provides size. I think he's one guy you can put on Michael Porter Jr. Um, and, and you know you just just put some size on him. I I think that, that that's something that they can go to. Yeah, MPJ, obviously, as we let's get into our X factors and and MPJ is always going to be an X factor at any series just because he can he can hit just ridiculous contested shots. And we saw that, especially in the what was it, the first quarter of of game six against the Blazers, where the Nuggets would have been down a ton if it weren't for I think he scored 22 in the first quarter, just hitting ridiculous three after ridiculous three. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that, yeah, I, I do think the Suns are better equipped to deal with him and maybe take some of those shots away by just being there and, and being bigger. Uh, but, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he performs. The Nuggets obviously will need, will need a good per- performance from Porter Jr. if they want to win this series. But, uh, you know, also Will Barton, I, I brought him up a, 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 few, a few times, but the – yeah, you, you felt like the the, the Nuggets were, were able to scrape by with just enough guard play because Monty Morris really picked it up down the stretch of that Portland series. But they could really use a little bit more punch with the off-the-dribble creation and just have another guy that can set up Jokic on that short roll. Uh, so, so Barton, obviously, a big factor. And the, the two guys I had listed for the Suns is probably their second and third best players or, or second to fourth best players, depending on how much you like Mikael Bridges, but uh, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. Obviously, Paul's health is going to be is going to be vital. 
you mentioned his ability to, and, and the Nuggets maybe being a little bit wary of him orchestrating the offense because of his IQ, his passing ability, and if he's healthy, that, that mid-range jumper. Uh, and, and also, I think it's going to be important for him. He's going to be important off-ball because if you can load up on Booker and put Paul's guy in his path and make things congested, that hurts Booker some. And if Paul can't make you pay, uh, then that's that's a bit of a problem. And then, you know, Aiton, not only on the offensive end, if the Nuggets are going to trap, he's going to get short roll opportunities. We saw Nurkic get plenty of those. He's going to have to make the right play, whether that's scoring for himself or, you know, making the extra pass. And then defensively, he's going to have the most important assignment, dealing with Jokic, not only on the block, but uh, you know, on pick and pops, on the pick and roll, he's going to have, he's going to be tested in every facet of big men defense, and he's going to have to stay out of foul trouble and play big minutes for, for the Suns to win this series. Yeah, I, I'd say as far as my X-Factors go, I'd say for Phoenix, when I, when, when, I think Chris Paul is the biggest X-Factor. I, if he's healthy, I, I can see the Suns really, I, I, I can see the Suns being, playing really well and having a lot of success in the series. If he's healthy, I think if he's not healthy, then I think that's when you get the series being very deep. And I might even go as far as to say that the that the Nuggets could win this series if Chris Paul's hurt. Could the Nuggets could win the series if Chris Paul's healthy? But if if Chris Paul's not playing it, if he can't shoot the ball, like there were times in the last series where he was just not shooting like wide open <laughs> wide open jump shots. Uh, so that, that's gonna be something big for me as far as the uh, as far as the Suns go. Now, as far as the Nuggets go, I think the the biggest X factor is just Michael Porter. If Michael Porter Jr. can make his shots, if he can, if he can be a reliable scorer, which we know he can be, I, I think he'll be the reason that the Nuggets will win the series if they win the series. Because we know what Jokic brings. He's the guy who's going to have to put a lot of a lot of the offensive burden on his shoulder with Murray out. And I think if he's successful in that, this can be a lot closer to the series. Yeah, as far as as far as Paul and his scoring, I feel like if he's if he's in single digits in this series, I think the Nuggets have a a very good chance to win it. But if he gets to, you know, 13 to 15 points per game, then I think the Suns will feel pretty good about that. He doesn't have to be 100% Chris Paul, but you're hoping that he's 90% of what he usually is for the Suns to get out of this. But uh, yeah, let's let's get into that uh, 02 in the series adjustment. And uh, as the as the Phoenix Suns and as the the team with home court, if the Suns go down 0-2, losing both in Phoenix, what are some things Monty Williams can do to uh, to to turn the tide in the series? Yeah, I mean, I, I would not want to be down 0-2 to Nikola Jokic. If I'm not, if I'm down in the 0-2 to the Denver team, or 3-1, you don't want to be up 3-1 either. Oh yeah, no, and. <laughs> I, I honestly think that the, if, if they're down, there's a lot of things that are going wrong there. And I think one of the things that probably happened at that point is that DeAndre Ayton's getting in foul trouble too early. And the, the and Michael Porter Jr. is, you know, scoring at, at will. And maybe a combination of Chris Paul just not being 100%. And that's one thing that scares me is if Chris Paul's 100%, I don't, there's not an adjustment you can make for that. Maybe playing him less and playing Cameron Payne more, but let's see how you know. Let's see if he can play as well as he did last series. I, I would say that if we're if we're down 0-2, if as Monty Williams, 
So I, I'm going to just try throwing a bunch of different looks at Michael Porter Jr. I think that's going to be one of the reasons why the Nuggets would be up to it was he's just having an incredible series. I, I think showing him different combinations of Mikhail Bridges, Torrey Craig, uh, Jay Crowder, th- th- that's something that you're, they're going to have to try out. But th- th- that's one of the things where it's like, I the, 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 the Suns should be the front runners in this series, even if it's a close series, even if the games are close. I think if this, the more adjustments the Suns have to make, it'll be more confusing for me just because they have the personal advantage. They are, they have a lot of guys, right? They have a lot of different things they can throw up, throw at them. And so if, I feel like by, by game three, if they haven't already made those adjustments, that, 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 that in and of itself would be kind of confusing to me. Yeah. Um, the, the interesting thing with the whole Chris Paul campaign dynamic is that, yeah, I stated that I thought campaign for most of that series was just better than Chris Paul. And the only reason you could make the argument that Chris Paul was better than campaign in that series would be his defense. But how much do you need the, the, the defense of Chris Paul in this particular series when they're mostly relying on, on Jokic and, uh, and Porter jr. To, to create offense. Now, I guess there, there is a value in getting over those screens. If you're not going to help off of Jokic on pick and rolls, when he's the screener, there is value in the guards getting over, but yeah, if Chris Paul is, you know, what, what he looked like in terms of, you know, hesitant shooting threes, not confident, uh, taking jump shots outside of 15 feet. Uh, you know, I, I, I would seriously consider, playing campaign more than Chris Paul. You don't have to take Paul out of the lineup entirely, but um, yeah. yeah, campaign, as you said, was, was really good in that last series against the Lakers. And if he's playing at that level again, I don't see any issue with, uh, with, with playing him more than CP three, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. As far as the nuggets, you know, if Denver gets down Oh, two in this series, um, I would, I would start to, if, you know, I would assume at this point that either if they're down 0-2, that either Chris Paul or Booker have just gone off and or the the supporting cast has just drilled a bunch of threes. I would not overreact if if guys like Crowder, Craig, Saric, or Kaminsky are drilling threes. I, I would not overreact. I'd make them continue to hit those shots. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things that if Aiton is really giving Jokic troubles in terms of that isolation one-on-one post defense, then I would, I would have, uh, you know, run some extra actions prior to the post up prior to Jokic getting the ball, run Aiton off of some screens off the ball, make him maneuver around that, get Jokic the ball on the move and see how that works. That's, that's what's so nice about Jokic as an offensive player is if he struggles in one game doing a certain thing, you can just make some adjustments and focus in on his other eight or nine strengths he has on the yeah. offensive end. Well, one thing that we'll say, and I, I guess I, I didn't mention being down on two, is Devin Booker struggled shooting until that game six, right? So he, if he has off games, that is – that's something I can see happen. And that's something where I see the Nuggets having a really good chance of winning the series. Yeah. I mean, Booker was, was what he was fantastic in, in the, at the start and the end of the series games, one and six games, two through five. It was, you know, yeah, less than ideal. Um, But, you know, just having those two monster games, I think made his overall series statistics look pretty good, but you're absolutely right that they, they probably need a more consistent Booker on the offensive end in this series. 
the the final adjustment I would make as Malone is uh, I would and and to be honest, if I was Malone, I would probably do this to start the series. I would start Monty Morris over Compazzo. Um, and what you can do there, especially if you want to keep Morris, you know, if Barton is not available and you want to keep Morris as a second unit cog, you can start Morris, but then take him out after, you know, four or five minutes and then bring him back at the end of the first and third to, to play with the second unit. So you can get five or 10 more minutes out of Monte Morris, who is clearly right now out of Morris, Compazzo, and Rivers. He Morris is clearly the best guard that the Nuggets have. Yeah. Uh, just getting a little extra time for him could could make a difference. So if if he if Malone has chosen to keep the same starting lineup to to begin this series, if he's down 0-2, that would be one adjustment I would make. And also, you know, if Will Barton is uh, is healthy and looking good and and showing some signs in the, one of the first two games, then yeah, maybe maybe you insert him back into the starting lineup as well. Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. All right, so let's get to the predictions. And you picked first on the last one, so I'll go first here. And uh, I, uh, as as we talked this over, you know, I I, uh, I I felt pretty good about the Suns. I initially picked Suns in seven, but the more I think about it, I mean, I'm I, I'm probably leaning closer to Suns in six than than Nuggets actually winning the series. But I'm going to stick with Suns in seven just because. Yeah, I feel like there's going to be a couple of games where Aiton will get in foul trouble and Jokic will just absolutely dominate. There could be a couple of games where uh, Booker Booker struggles offensively and, and the, the the Phoenix Suns offense just doesn't put up enough points. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go Suns in seven, but I do think that there are some some material advantages that Phoenix has in this series that can that can cause the Nuggets problems. And you know, the absence of Jamal Murray, it, despite it not being a factor as much in that series against Portland, given the Blazers' poorest defense. They're facing a legit top 10 defensive unit now and not having that secondary guy that can create an isolation, that can make plays at the end of the shot clock, I think is just going to be too much. So Suns and seven. What do you got, Shamir? So, uh, coming in this podcast, I had Suns and six, but I, I think I'm going to go Suns and seven. I, I think that I think the Nuggets can make this a series, especially if Booker has a game or two that's off. I th- I have no question in my mind the consistency level that Jokic can bring. Uh, the one thing that does kind of bother me about the Nuggets is they really just have absolutely no one who can even attempt to guard Devin Booker. Uh, at least the Lakers, they had guys like Caruso, uh, you know, and even KCP, where you felt comfortable with, you know, keeping him at, at water level. Well, I will say I will say that I think Denver might look to put uh, put Aaron Gordon. On that would be Devin interesting. Booker. That would be interesting. I think they might have to. I, I think th- th- they might have to because they don't. None of their guards are anything to be afraid of. If I'm Devin Booker, but yeah, no, I, I will say the Suns in seven, but I do think there's an opportunity for the Nuggets here. All right. Well, uh, was there anything else about this series or the playoffs in general you wanted to discuss before we wrap up here? I just wanted to say uh, my my whole philosophy in the playoffs is like I want to see the best matchups going forward. And I think I want the Suns to win this matchup just because I think that without Jamal Murray, they're a bigger threat to the Clippers in the next round than the the Nuggets are. Oh, what are your thoughts about that? I probably agree, especially if you 
if you're saying to me that Chris Paul is going to continue to get better and better as yeah. time progresses, getting away from that to that initial injury, I'm still so confused about that, that Paul, whether it's a stinger, what even exactly is that? And is this yeah. the worst stinger that has ever occurred to anyone? Because I, yeah. I, I, I typically associated a stinger with something that was like a 24 to 48 hour thing. And then you were fine, but yeah. we're talking about like, you know, uh, he was losing feeling in his arm and nerve damage, maybe. I, I don't know. I think you're not going to be honest about whatever his injury status is just because he's had such terrible injury luck in the playoffs in the past. But uh, he's, he's not going gonna to want to play. You know, this is like, if he can walk, he'll probably play. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, I completely agree that, uh, especially if we're saying this Suns team at full strength versus the Nuggets without Murray, yes, I, I think the Suns are a better basketball team moving forward. So, uh, yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I think a, a Clippers-Suns Western Conference Finals would be fantastic. And we've got a couple of fun Eastern Conference series going on right now in round two as well. Well, Shamir, this was this was a heck of a lot of fun. Thanks so much for, for coming on and taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some, some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the, the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he, uh, he does, a, d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day.